0: Hey, good morning, you guys stand up and join us. proclaim this morning, right? It's such a simple phrase, but the truth of that, holy cow, God is so good that we can consider the stars in the heavens, that we can uh, uh, consider the universe, this, this vast display of God, and yet it touches us deep down in our souls because His Spirit is alive in us who have believed in Jesus, His Son. Amen? That God, the creator of the universe, knows us by name that we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. He's knit us together in our mother's wombs. This God is personal, and we can know him, and we can proclaim his name together. So let's continue to do that. a reason to sing this morning. Declare that Lord, that is true that our Savior, our King Jesus, is alive. He's seated at your right hand, God, and He rules and reigns as King. Lord, let you and Him and, and the Spirit all together in one be magnified this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, Cross Point family. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're grateful. That you have chosen to be in the Crosspoint living room this morning. Our first impression team uh, volunteers are going to begin passing out the connection card booklets uh, pretty soon. If you're new with us, fill out that gray section. If you're a regular attender or member, let us know uh, who you are and uh, that you're here. Uh, they're at the there at the top as well. Uh, a couple next steps or one next step I want to draw your attention to. Our next Discover Crosspoint, our membership class, is happening March 12th. Details are in your program. We're going to do it right after the service lunch childcare provided. So that's a great opportunity if you're new with us to get to know more about who we are, and as well as those who are already members, we're asking you to go back through it. So if you've been unable to attend one of the past several since last fall, then uh, sign up for that, mark that box. You can also sign up at Guest Connections. We pray that that time would be an encouragement to your faith, to your walk with the Lord, to your understanding of what it looks like to love God, love people, and make disciples are to live 3D according to our vision statement. So uh, we want to put that before you as a next step. Also, if there's something, something we can be praying for you about, please share that at the bottom. And as an elder team, as a staff, we would love to join you in prayer as, uh, as we lay things before the Lord and wait in expectation for how He wants to move and work in our lives. If you have a Bible on your lap or your device, get to the book of Malachi. If you've never read the book of Malachi, if you've never even knew there was a book in the Bible called Malachi, it's pretty easy to find. It's, bu- it's right before Matthew. So if you get to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament right before Matthew. So I encourage you to get there uh, right now. So next week, then, we begin uh, the New Testament. We've been in a three-year chronological journey through Scripture. We are, ha- we are at the halfway point uh, back at Sunchaser's. Along that wall in the family room, there are 10 posters. We are five posters through uh, this next Sunday. So we're going to be all together in a family service. Nurseries will still be available and staffed. And so uh, it'll be a great opportunity for us to celebrate the halfway point, reflect back on the Old Testament, and see how Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David, and points us forward to where we're going for the next year and a half uh, through the New Testament. The past couple weeks... We've been talking about a reading plan that we have created uh, to help us slowly and intentionally walk through the Gospels for the next 37 weeks or so. We're going to be preaching through the Gospels on Sunday mornings through November 12th, I believe it is. And so this reading plan takes us through the four, the four Gospels three different times, basically a chapter a day, over that course of time. And so last Sunday began this reading plan, beginning in John, then working through Matthew, Matthew Mark, and Luke. Some of you might say, well, I didn't start next week, so I guess I'm already behind. Well, that's, we wouldn't want you to feel that way. We would actually want you to think that you're right on time, that today we're in John 8. And so you start today. Because guess what? In May, you're going to be going through John 1 through 7. And so we don't want you to catch up, per se. We want you to uh, be engaged in the Scripture. The, the goal is not to necessarily check something off a list. The goal as a Christ follower is to be anchored to and uh, uh, engaged in daily, consistent, faithful reading of the Scriptures, reading of the Word of God. And so the reading plan for that is available at Guest Connections as well as electronically on our website. I shared with you last week that me as a, for, for me as a pastor, it's easy to see my time in the Word preparing for a message. It's easy to see that as adequate or enough. And while the Lord most certainly encourages me and shapes me through the Word as I reflect on it, as I prepare on a message, any communicator, any pastor should allow the Word to first transform our own hearts before we try to uh, internalize that or before we try to communicate that to others. And so the Word most certainly does that. This week would be no exception to that. And so my time in the Word in preparation for a message is good. It's a godly thing. But what I was saying last week is that I also long to read and reflect on the word simply as a son of the king or as a, uh, a child of God. And so uh, hopefully uh, that is an encouragement to you as we read the word together alongside one another. I haven't graduated from my need for the word in my life and neither of you. And so I'm excited about how God's going to shape us in the coming weeks as we do that alongside one another. And then finally, there's one last resource back at Guest Connections. We call it a 27 or 2717 community group. And it's a way for you to read the scriptures alongside one another. It gives us a way to do that, our process to do that. Um, we talked about the REAPS method and last week a little bit. That's on there as well as some questions to ask one another. Our family, for instance, is going to be a 2717 community group. We're encouraging each other last week. So how are you doing on your reading plan? Are you, uh, are you behind? Are you on top? What did you learn from uh, the Word today? And those kind of things. And then I'm also meeting with a couple guys on every other Friday to talk about what we're learning from the Word, ask each other some accountability questions, some questions to sharpen us as the Lord shapes us through His Word. And so I encourage you to get that uh, resource uh, back at Guest Connections to help us read alongside one another, be engaged in the Scripture together. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That commandment is throughout Scripture. It's not just New Testament, it's Old Testament as well. We see it in a place like Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. In our Crosspoint Membership Covenant, we call it worship supremely. We want to be a people who worship supremely, who lift up the Lord in our lives, who exalt Him. We want to be a people who reject idolatry, who say we're not going to allow other, anything, anything or anyone other than the Lord to be ruling our hearts. We want our hearts to be captivated by the Lord Himself. In the words of Jesus, we want to be a people who seek first His kingdom in His righteousness, worshiping the Lord supremely, loving Him above all else. Because if the Lord is supreme in my life or in your life, that will enable me and help me to know how to love others, fulfilling that second great commandment of loving my neighbor as myself. If the Lord has my affections, it will enable me and empower me to be able to love my wife, love my kids, love my friends, love my church, love my family. Because then, things like pride, selfishness, greed, anger, bitterness, those things won't be ruling my heart in how I interact with others. Instead, it will be me pursuing a growing love for the Lord, humbly coming before the Lord, saying, Lord, shape my heart, grow my love for you so that I might love others. Because all of life is worship. God has designed us to be worshipers, and we all worship something. It's never a question of if we worship. It is who or what do we worship in this life. And for the Christ follower, we confess that Jesus is who we worship. He is who we follow, trust in, love, stand in awe of. It's not us, but it's Him. And we say yes and amen. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Worship supremely. Yes and amen. But here's the reality, if we're honest, is that sometimes our love for the Lord is half-hearted. It's sometimes like, meh. I mean, maybe we don't intend for that to be the reality. I don't think we always do, but it's an easy uh, thing to slip into this half-hearted devotion or love for Jesus. The Holy Spirit has helped me see this in my heart before. He's exposed the tendency in my heart to not live in daily awe of Him, To live in awe of his name, his holiness, his justice, his love, his faithfulness, his grace, his mercy. Sadly, I think for Christians, the tendency that Christians have is that the longer we worship Jesus, the longer we follow him, the less enamored we are by him. Instead, what what Paul would say is that we are to grow in our knowledge of the Lord so that we, we might grasp the depth of His love, the width of His love. That the more we would follow Him, the more in love we would grow. And, but what happens sometimes as Christians is the longer we follow Him, the more kind of uh, bored we get as we relate to the Lord, as we interact and, and uh, understand who He is. One of our other prayers for 2017 is that the Lord would wake us. So the Lord would anchor us to His Word, Another one of the six that were laying before the Lord is that the Lord would wake us, that He'd wake us to His glory and awe, that He'd wake us from our sinful ruts and our rhythms, that that He'd wake us from our indifference to others. And today in Malachi, in a lot of ways, we see the Lord calling the Israelites to wake up, wake up, because their worship of God had become half-hearted. It had become lifeless. It was a dead orthodoxy, if you will. It had become stale, and if you've ever eaten something stale, that is not an enjoyable thing to eat. And their hearts are turned away from the Lord, and maybe you find your, your own heart cold to the Lord today. Maybe you would characterize your worship of the Lord as a bit lifeless, and I pray, if so, that if that's the case, that the Lord would wake us today, that the Lord would wake us to the ways in which we have not worshiped him supremely, that he'd wake us to, a, to his great love for us as his people. So Malachi happens around the same time as Nehemiah and Ezra, mid-5th century BC, uh, 400 plus years before the New Testament. Malachi is a prophet. His name means messenger, and he's speaking the words of the Lord to the people And he's calling out some of the same sins that uh, Nehemiah and Ezra did in those books. And the Lord, through Malachi, is going to call the people to return to him. He's going to say, you've gone astray. But instead of just humbly humbly admitting that, instead of the people saying, you're right, Lord. Instead, what you see throughout all four chapters is the people basically asking questions, "So, so prove it. So, so you say we don't love you, so you say we despise you, how is that, Lord? So you say we rob from you, how is that, Lord? And they're asking these really arrogant and proud questions to God. Instead of just kind of humbly admitting that, And you're right, Lord. Instead, they say, in a sense, prove it. And over the course of this book, he calls out multiple areas in their lives. He calls out marriage in chapter 2, money in chapter 3. And for the sake of this message, we're only going to focus on chapter 1. Because I think chapter 1 really sets the tone for the rest of the four chapters. And frankly, it's really difficult to try to teach through four chapters in one morning. And to do that in an understandable, kind of streamlined sort of way. And so I just want to go chapter 1 only today. Your study guide and your community group will touch on other chapters in Malachi. But today, simply just chapter 1. Because I think it sets the tone for marriage, or money, or any other subject matter that we need to deal with. What I love about this book is that before He ever rebukes, before the Lord ever rebukes people, His people, He reminds them of His love for them. I love that order. Do not miss that order. Verse 1, Malachi 1, the prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, I have loved you. You says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, Lord yet I have loved Jacob. So he's, they're talking about a story earlier in the Old Testament, Jacob and Esau, and God chose Jacob instead of Esau, his brother, to carry this blessing promised to their grandfather, Abraham. Jacob was chosen as one from whose family line Jesus the Messiah would come. Jacob was not chosen because something to do with Jacob. He was chosen because of God, because of the Lord. For those who are in Christ, we are chosen not because we're awesome, but because our God is. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, "...for He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace." which he has freely given us in the one he loves. As Charles Spurgeon said in this uh, dynamic between Jacob and Esau, my problem is not that that, that God didn't choose Esau. That's not my difficulty. My difficulty is why God chose Jacob, why God would love Jacob, because Jacob wasn't flawless, and you and I are not flawless. That's what we need to deal with and wrestle with more, is that why would God love anyone? I mean, God is love, but God is also holy, and we've rejected Him, we've sinned against Him. Why would God fix His love on anyone? And it's because God's grace, His mercy. It's because God is great. Because by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are saved. God calls and saves believers to Himself, not because of our goodness, not because of our own merit, not because of our potential, so to speak, but because of His own purposes, His will, His love, His grace. That truth leads to our assurance, our comfort. It leads to our worship. And it also calls us and and, uh, commands us to be ambassadors for Him, knowing people will respond to the gospel. At the end of verse 5, you read this Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. This is a reminder to us of God's heart for all the nations, beyond just the Jews. We see this throughout the Old Testament. God is not just a God of the Israelites, but He is a God of the Gentiles. And so that's pointing us forward to the New Testament when we see that Jesus will be a light to the world, not just to the Jews and not just to the Israelites. The good news that is to go to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, to the ends of the earth, to Jerusalem, but also to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so before the Lord rebukes the people, He reaffirms His love for them. The Israelites are descendants of Jacob, and God chose Jacob and loved Jacob. And so don't miss this order here in the book of Malachi. He begins with their identity as God's people. I have loved you. You are loved by Almighty God. And so out of being so faithfully loved by Him, our lives should reflect It should reflect that same love. Our worship of God should be wholehearted as a result of that and not half-hearted. It should be loving Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because He was not half-hearted in His sacrifice toward us. He was not half-hearted in His pursuit of us. The question is not, does God love Israel? It is, do the Israelites love Him? That's the question. Are they responding to His great love for them? Are they worshiping Him supremely in response to how He has loved them? And the answer is no. They, they need woken up. And the Lord's words through Malachi are some strong words to the people in order to bring about this waking up. Skipping to verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where's the honor due me? If I'm a master... Where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. In earthly relationships, a son is to honor his father. And when you read slave there, think servant. Don't think of the wicked slavery that we have seen throughout the history of our world that continues to this day. Do not think in that terms because here the master is not cruel, evil, wicked. The master is good. The master is altogether good. The master cares for his servants. So when you read slave there, think servant and think of a master who is willing to send his son to lay down his life so that that servant, so that slave might be rescued and healed and transformed. God is giving us two pictures of himself here, a father and a master. First of all, the picture of a father. We see this in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaching the disciples to pray, and he begins with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Your name is set apart, Lord. And for those who are in Christ, we relate to Him as Father. And He's a good Father. See, some of you have have an earthly father and some broken relationship that actually clouds your ability to understand God as a good Father, an altogether good Father, a Father who is present because your earthly Father was not present. And so when you encounter this in Scripture, you need to allow the Scripture to be the truth and not that earthly relationship that is broken and somehow clouding over the truth of Scripture. God is a good Father. And so Jesus teaches us to pray beginning with our Father, out of that relationship as a son or daughter. And so in the picture of God as Father, we see that truth of a relationship with Him. It's out of that relationship that we pray It's out of that relationship that we can come to Him in our pain and our joy and our delight and our sorrow and our sin in our pride. It's out of that relationship that we can come knowing that He will receive us, knowing that He has our best interests in mind, knowing that He is altogether good and wise, and so we can come to Him. It's also out of that relationship of father that we read in the book of Hebrews that he disciplines his children because he loves us. He will use things like a trial in our lives to bring about our hearts to a greater love, a greater devotion, an increased faith in him. A father loves his children. By God's grace, I've been, uh, had the joy to be able to be uh, parents to Maddie and Eli now for nearly 18 years. I love my kids. I I love to listen to them. I love to care for them. I love to speak encouragement and truth and life-giving words to them. I love to engage in hard conversations with them. I love to discipline them because I love them. I love to see how their hearts transform and, and are shaped by the Lord through the years. I love to see how God shapes me as a father through them that I understand more and more after nearly 18 years what it's like to be a, a son and have a Heavenly Father who is gracious and patient. When I don't see that in me, I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you, Father, for being that way to me. Thank you for continuing to shape my heart that I'm not a graduate of the Grace School, but I'm right alongside my kids in that. A father loves. So it's also in that picture of God as Father, I think not only relationship, but think respect and reverence. If there's a hot button in most dads, it is when your child or children uh, appear to be disrespectful to you. They appear to be um, ignoring your words. They appear to be like, "Um, I really don't care what you say, dad. I I know you say that that's true, but I could really care less. I'm going to do it my way. If there's a hot button in most dads, it's probably that one. We respect our Father in heaven because He is all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above. And so as Father, we not only listen to His Word, but we seek to obey His Word. We don't want to just be hearers of it, as James would say. We want to be doers of the Word. If you're in Christ, if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, God is our Father, and you are his child, and that should lead us to this heart that wants to seek to honor our Father in everything. The second picture there, the Lord gives of himself in verse 6, is that of a master, meaning he is Lord over everything. Everything belongs to him. He is sovereign. He is good. He's in control. He is the one who gave us life and breath. He is the one who knit us together in our mother's womb, who said in Isaiah 40, who are you going to compare me to? Who are you going to compare me to? I'm the one who set those stars into motion. Who are you going to compare me to? I call them each by name. Who are you going to compare me to? This is what he continues to say. So he is Lord over creation. He's Lord over our lives. He is the master. And so as his people, we seek to live a life of service to him. Not to somehow earn his love. Not to grow in, to obtain his love. It's because, we are lo- it's because we are loved. Because we are loved, we seek to live a life of worship to Him. Because He is good to us, that should lead our hearts not to grumble in our service, but to be doing it joyfully and willingly. The Lord begins His wake-up call to the people in verse 6. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where's the honor due me? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. And you see that reference a lot here in chapter 1. Lord Almighty. You'll see it throughout the book. Because this is a reminder that our God is not just any God. He's not a, a grandfather that just kind of sits over in the corner and, and, and ignoring everybody else or indifferent to everyone one else or just disengaged. He is Almighty God. He is creator, author of life, judge, ruler he's the king of kings lord of lords and he's father and he's master and yet the people do not treat him as such there's no honor there's no respect and we have the same temptation in our lives you and i do it's easy for us to point out other people that struggle with this it's harder for us to have the humility to say yeah sometimes that's me oftentimes that's me He goes on, verses uh, 6 through 9. It is you priests who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Again, they kind of ask these questions back to God. By offering defiled food on my altar, but you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? So the Lord is not just calling out the people, he's calling out the priests here. And the priests are the ones to be leading the people into worship. They're the spiritual leaders. They they preside over these sacrifices and it was their duty to uh, honor them and to uphold them in a um, God-honoring way, and to do them in a way that the law of Moses commanded them to do. But God is telling them here that how they're going about the sacrifices is defiling His name because they're doing it in a way that is contrary to how God commanded them to do so in books like Leviticus or Deuteronomy. Throughout the Old Testament journey, we've, we've seen the manner in which the Israelites worship God, is vastly different than how we do it as New Covenant Christ followers because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. In the Old Testament, you, you, you have this uh, bring an animal, we'll sacrifice the animal, that blood will atone for the sins of the people, and that's the way they are to worship God. So you see these pictures of death for life, blood covering over sin, sacrifice for the sake of an other, and all of those point us forward to Jesus, who we hit next week. The sacrifice that on the cross that his blood was enough to cover the sins of the world and those who trust in him. And in God's instructions to the Old Testament uh, believers to their sacrifice, he made it explicitly clear to them that the animals that they were to be sacrificed, that they were to sacrifice, were to be without blemish, without stain. They would be the best of the best because, again, That points us forward to Jesus, who was without sin, who took on sin to become sin for us, to die in our place, who took on that curse of sin, bore the weight of it on the cross. That points us forward to the best of the best, God's very own Son, sacrificing for us, dying in our place. But the priests here are allowing blind, lame, and diseased animals to be sacrificed. They're disregarding God's Word to them. The animals were to be the best of the best because God is holy, God is pure, and so offerings are to be made in that kind of manner. But instead, what the people are doing, what the priests are allowing, was they were bringing leftovers to worship. They'd bring the the, the blind, the lame, the diseased animal because that animal is worth nothing. The best of the best would bring profit to them in the marketplace. The best of the best would allow them to make money on the side. So they'd bring blind and lame and diseased because these are worth nothing to them. And so what you see being exposed in them is this desire that they want to love God. They want to say they love God, but they also want to love money. This is what they're living out right now. This is what's getting exposed in them in this practice. And so when the Lord in the Old Testament commanded them to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then laid out in the law of Moses how that looks and what that looks like, they're disregarding the word so that they might love the things of this world. And while we are not under the law of Moses, commanded to worship in that way, we are still to be people of the word. People who not only trust in God's Word, but seek to listen to it and not just disregard it. So, for example, in the case of this idol of money that we see in Malachi 1, it's easily showing up in the New Testament as well. When Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money, you're going to have to hate one and love the other. You can't serve both masters. Or in 1 Timothy 6, when he, when he when he talks about that the uh, love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, so when we hear these words, we need to allow these words to shape us and transform us, and not just kind of disregard them and say, "No, I think I can make this happen," but instead we honor those and we seek to live by them. The Lord goes on in his wake-up call to the people, verse ten. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors, so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offerings from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. So the Lord would rather have the priests shut the temple doors than worship Him in this unholy, shallow way. And then verse 11 begins with, My name If you look in chapter 1, you see Lord Almighty show up a lot, and you see my name show up a lot, not just in chapter 1, but throughout this book. My name, his name represents his character, his nature, who he is, who he always has been. It's the sum total of who he is. And the Israelites were to represent his name to the world. After they're delivered from Egyptian slavery, he calls them to worship him, love him, and he says that you're going to be a kingdom of priests, meaning you're going to reflect me and represent me to the world, to the other nations. But in the manner in which they are regarding God's word right now, in this unholy way, he's saying just shut the doors because your actions, your attitudes are not a reflection of me at all. They're not a reflection of the way in which I've called you to live. Instead, their actions were were as if they despised God, as if they could care less about God. He says at this rate, shut the doors. Stop your so-called worship. And then verse 11, my name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, God is saying my purpose will be accomplished no matter what. In Genesis 3, God promised that one day the serpent, the evil serpent, his head would be crushed. In Genesis 12 and 15 and 17, God promised that the nations would be blessed through an offspring of Abraham, through a Messiah. That a Messiah would come and this Messiah would represent his name perfectly because he would be God's very own son. He would be the exact representation of God. The image of the invisible God, the radiance of God reflected in the sun because he would be 100% God and 100% man. And through him, every nation would be blessed. And through him, God's name would be great among the nations. So God's purposes for this world will go out. They will be accomplished no matter what because he is Lord Almighty. He is never in need. He's never lacking. He's never without. And so he tells the priests, just shut the doors because you're giving my name a bad name. Verse 12, but you profane it my name by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty, when you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices. Should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, But then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Notice that he's calling out the priests again for the way that they are disregarding his holiness, loving the things of this world instead of loving God himself with everything. They're ignoring the word, but these are the priests. They are involved in all sorts of religious activity and yet they are the ones despising the name of God. If there's one thing we've seen throughout this Old Testament journey is that the Lord is first concerned with our hearts. This is the constant problem of the Old Testament. They need a new heart because outward religious activity does not transform the heart. We can go through all the religious activity we want. We can attend church and get baptized and join a church and uh, give money and serve in a ministry. But if our hearts are far from God, we are still far from God. We can do all those things. Those don't earn us God's love or earn us salvation or earn us this relationship with the Father. Gospel changes always from the inside out. It is the Lord ruling over our hearts giving us a new spirit within us, removing a heart of stone, giving us a heart of flesh, an inward gospel transformation that does lead outward, but it's never the other way around. And these priests are going through all the outward Old Testament actions. But those actions are not overflowing from a heart that is captivated by the love of God. Instead, they're just overflowing from hearts that are far from God and dead in their relationship. I pray our hearts would not fall into the same trap of half-hearted worship, but instead that our hearts would be captured by the love of our Father in heaven, that we would know His love, that we would grasp His love, that we would experience His love. Love, enough that he would lay down his life for ours. If you're here and you have yet to experience God's love and trust in, him, trust in him as Savior and follow him as Lord, I pray you'd do that in prayer today, that you'd humble your heart, that you would agree that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that the Lord is the Lord Almighty and you and I are not almighty. And so we need a Savior. We're in desperate need of a Savior. As we close... Um, Listen to the words of 1 Peter. We've read them a lot throughout this 18-month journey because of how they echo back to the Old Testament pictures of that priesthood, of the kingdom of priests. So he says, As you come to him, in verses 4 and 5 in chapter 2, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual household to be a holy priesthood, To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So our spiritual sacrifices are no longer an animal on an altar. Our spiritual sacrifices, according to Romans 12, is our life. We are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Colossians 3 would say that all of life is to be worship of God because God has chosen believers, because He's called us His own, because He has laid down His life for ours and demonstrated such extravagant love through the cross. And we respond to that by saying, we love You, Lord. And we want to live for You. We want to reflect Your love to others. And then Peter goes on in verses uh, 9 and 10, reminding us of our identity as God's people, and then out of that identity flows an activity. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our prayer for 2017 begins with wake us, but it ends with send us. And this is what we see here in 1 Peter. We want to be a people who recognize with our lives, with our our, our words, our motivations, our attitudes, our actions, our relationships, that our life is to be a growing reflection of Christ and reflecting that love to a world that is being called out of darkness into his light. And so out of that identity of being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Out of that identity flows this activity that we want to declare the praises of our God, the excellencies of our God to the people around us with our words and with our life, with our relationships. If the worship team could come back up, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, loving us first. Thank you for loving us long before the foundations of this earth began thank you for demonstrating your love so extravagantly by dying for us and for rising again on the third day. In response to being so greatly loved, we want to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, our mind, our strength. We want to offer our daily lives to worship you. We don't want to see a disconnect in our hearts where we say we love you and then we despise you spirit expose in us the tendencies of our heart continue to make us more like you from the inside out transform our hearts shape our hearts grow in us the fruit of the spirit thank you that you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light Thank you that we've received mercy. Thank you that that we are now a joined community of believers, a family, a priesthood, a body. And so enable us, Lord, through your Spirit's power to declare your goodness and reflect your love to the world and the people around us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand up and worship.
2: There we- The name of Jesus.
1: As we give our offering, as we continue in singing, Lord, we respond to your great name. We respond to your goodness. We respond that you are the owner of all things. God, you're a, from you comes every good and perfect gift. Father, we pray that as we give, that you would check our heart motives, Lord much like Malachi 1, that you would help us to, uh, to uh, that our hearts would be inclined to you, that, that we wouldn't be giving begrudgingly, but we would give cheerfully and joyfully, sacrificially, faithfully in response to who you are and your presence in our lives, your provision in our lives. And we pray that what is given, Lord, would be going outward, our neighborhoods and to our nations so that your name would be glorified so that your name would reach more thank you that you are lord almighty and we can give because we know that you care for us we see it in the cross we see it in the resurrection we see it daily in our lives evidences of your grace we love you in jesus name amen
2: The mountains shake before.
1: Forty-five. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. every day. I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful, wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you've made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. So that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your, of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all who fall down and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. May we live that out this week. May we live praising his name forever and ever. Meet somebody new before you leave. God bless
2: i